Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Amy G, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Today's date is Monday, April 17th, and today we're reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous on page 27 in the first paragraph. Today's readers are, and thank you for your service, Meg F., Wendy M., and Becky K. The reference number for Sunday's special edition is 9843. And for this morning's 7 a.m. Vision for You meeting, 9844. So that's 9843 for Sunday and 9844 for 7 a.m. this morning. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive overeating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask for Rebecca B. to read the 12 steps. Go ahead, Rebecca. Hi, my name is Rebecca B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Boston. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable, Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And then step twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks. I'll pass. Thanks, Rebecca. Okay, we've got someone in the background there that needs to mute their phone, please. Whoever is using the microwave or the sink or something, if you'd be so kind as to mute, we'd greatly appreciate it. I will now ask for Mara Z to please read the 12 traditions. Go ahead, Mara. Good morning, Amy. Can you hear me? I can hear you well. Thank you. Thank you. Maura Z. Recovered in Virginia. Twelve traditions of O-Readers Anonymous. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, 
but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I pass. Thank you, Mara Z. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. If you go over, you'll hear me say time. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six, uh, six months. There is no absence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute your phone. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted, and please try to avoid speaking on uh, speakerphone. Today we resume our study in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous in their solution on page 27 on the first paragraph starting with some of our alcoholic readers may think. And I'm going to go ahead and ask Meg F. to get us started, please. Go ahead, Meg. Good morning. Thank you. Um, This is Meg F. recovered in California. Page 27. Some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. Let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with his doctor. The doctor said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I have never seen one single case recover where the state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. Our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. He said to the doctor, is there no exception? Yes, replied the doctor, there is. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding force of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. In fact, I have been trying to produce such, some such emotional rearrangement within you. With many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, but I have never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. Wow. Um, I've been thinking about these paragraphs. And, of course, what strikes you first for me is the vital spiritual experience being the requirement. And what is that, right? What is the vital spiritual experience? And it seems to be in the nature of becoming something new, something different. When you go to the asterisk page and you're looking at the spiritual experience, they literally have odd type where it puts undergone and then there's a lot of spaces a lot of spaces profound a lot of spaces alteration in his reaction to life and they talk about honesty and open-mindedness and willingness so when i go back to these paragraphs i'm struck that i'm supposed to follow the directions in the big book in order to have this vital spiritual experience and so i was trying to take it apart a bit And it comes to me as some little elements like ideas, emotions, attitudes that are all new. They they need to be new. These are the things that make up my experience, my ideas, my emotions, my attitudes. So I realize that my sponsor is delicately trying to say to me, did you go to God? Did you ask God? 
Did you try something different? Did you write a 10th step? Did you think about where you were selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, afraid? And I like how my sponsor always says things like, it's a beginning. We begin to try something new. We begin to have a new idea. It just occurs to us. So lately, my experience is simply that the other morning I woke up and I was anxious or afraid and I just had a new idea like I'm supposed to begin my day differently I'm supposed to immediately just check in with God just just do a check-in Meg just something little just little ideas you know and my emotions running my life and up and down and my kids and oh my god and this and that and like so what it's like those are just emotions those are not the directions those are not what God has for me to do today those are my old habits patterns annoyances bad patterns and not helpful. And I think just to wrap up, to become new, I have a, I have a lot of children, but one of them, the, the youngest is 17. And, and I've watched her go from being like a crazy teenage girl, which I've never seen, to literally becoming like a grateful that we're paying for her university and that she's going to begin in September. Like to actually watch somebody shift quickly, you know, it doesn't feel quick, but it's a pretty quick change. And I hope for that for, for all of us, that we, could, that we could become new in that regard and that we could actually really grow. Like to watch an 18-year-old or like a one to two-year-old, you can see huge growth spurts. It's time for me to have that here. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Meg. Who would like to share on what was read, please? Sylvia. Sylvia. Ginger C. Who? I'm sorry, what was that? Kathleen Ginger C. Oh, Ginger C. That's, I missed that part. Okay, and then Kathleen. Did I hear a Kathleen? Yes. Kathleen O, right? Yes. Okay. Becky K. Becky. Gotcha. Anybody else? Okay. We're going to go with those four. Sylvia, Ginger, Kathleen, and Becky. Go ahead, Sylvia. Good morning, Amy. Thank you for your service, and good morning, visionaries. I'm happy to be with you. This morning, this is Sylvia F., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Northern California. And uh, I love just what was shared. I love the reading. And for me, this paragraph is what I have always, since I've been recovered, looked at it as the, um, as the definition of recovered for me. Um, so what it talks about is this huge emotional displacements and rearrangements is I get to think and act differently. It's pretty much that simple, but how did it happen? And, you know, I, I, uh, 12 years in the program, seven years recovered, and um, I'm still in awe of how I can choose to act differently, how I can think differently. And that's what it's about. So, Um, So it's the littlest thing is that, you know, my son came over last night for dinner. He's 33, and he's going through a lot of changes. A lot of it is exciting. And um, I get to just make the decision of how to show up and be present for him, not what do I need out of that relationship as a mother, but what does he need? Um, He needs me to sit there and listen and be excited for him. Okay, I can do that. I could not show up for other people before because I was so trying to get my needs met and I was trying to get my needs met through everyone else so that that was just not going to be an option. And um, I, you know, I I might say something. I've had this happen a couple of days ago. I said something that wasn't nice about someone else. I didn't say it in a mean-spirited way, but it wasn't nice. And my next thought is, that didn't feel good. Um, there's no way I can make an amends. I clarified what I was doing, and I thought, I can't go there because that will harm me. It will harm another person. I don't like how I feel when I, do, when I do that. I was the gossip monger when I was at, at work. I was gossiping because I was trying to make sure everybody knew I knew everybody's business. I wanted to feel a part of. 
I wasn't trying to be malicious, but it didn't matter. I was harming people. So when it talks about ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding force, it was suddenly cast to one side. How? Through the steps, through practicing these steps every day. A completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. And that is my experience that I have changed so much. I don't, you know, I, I think my family's used to it, but when I think about who I used to be and what my motives and, and my actions were, uh, happy to be who I am today and keeps me motivated to keep practicing this on a daily basis. Um, my life is unbelievable. Not perfect, but it's pretty dang unbelievable. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sylvia. Ginger C., it's your turn. Press star one to unmute, Ginger. Hi, good morning. This is Ginger C. Thank you so much, Amy, for your service and um, for everyone being on the line. And this is just such an amazing paragraph. And, um, you know, it says uh, here they're talking about this vital spiritual experience. And I love these words in this book, vital. And I looked it up and it says absolutely necessary or important, essential. And, you know, I just felt like the paragraph before, I felt like hell had closed, you know, the door was closed and there was no hope of getting out of this food nightmare. I was taking it to my grave. There was no way I was going to be able to ever stop eating. And it just was going to be what it was going to be. And then Amazingly, finding this book two years ago, following it, these clear-cut directions, and working it quickly. I finished this work in six weeks' time. You know, this vital spiritual experience happened for me, and I'm neutral with food. Unbelievable. Again, I never thought I'd be out of this nightmare. So I just, I just can't emphasize enough to get into this work and work it quickly with someone who's recovered um, because it's essential for our recovery, you know, the spiritual experience in the back. It says a personality change sufficient. It works to bring about recovery from this food nightmare. So I just love, um, I love that uh, we get to study this every day and remember, because I have an incredibly short memory. That's my problem. And then, of course, I get into isolation and I get back into ginger and, and this is the most amazing experience with this vital spiritual experience. My life today is more about you than it's about me. For 24 years in AA, I thought I was doing a good thing, but it was like, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It wasn't about service. It wasn't about doing this work. So I'm just so grateful to finally see this, and I just pray I never get out of it. And that's what I have as a daily reprieve. I can't rest on yesterday's work. I have to work as hard today as I did yesterday. And I just have a day at a time, but just for today, I get to do that practice. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Ginger. Kathleen O., it's your turn. Kathleen, star one. Kathleen? Okay, well, we'll come back to you if you are able to get back on the line. Okay, Becky Kay, you're up. Hi, everyone. This is Becky Kay, compulsive, recovered compulsive overeater in Maryland. And I, um, to me, this, this paragraph is, is really the essence of, of the whole um, book. <laughs> um, we're in the paragraph, there is a solution. And if you look at step 12 it says you know upon receiving a spiritual awakening and so for me our whole journey of recovery is to get a spiritual awakening and that is the solution for me to take on the transformation of my personality i liked what someone said earlier about watching a teenage girl blossom into a beautiful woman it's the same thing about watching a compulsive reader transformed into a, a sane person. And so for me, the spiritual experience and the phenomenon of changing my own personality through this program, and again, it's, it's through the grace of God, it's through walking these steps, it's from help from the fellows. But when we say apply these principles in all of our affairs, 
then I have to start living the principles, eating, breathing, drinking the principles. It says here, I have it, uh, the the paragraph says completely set a new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate me. So when I was into the food, I my conceptions and motives was Becky, 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 pure and simple. I was, you know, self-centered. Everything was about me, woe is me, poor me, poor me, you know, pour me a drink kind of thing. And as I began taking these steps, I tried to apply the principles of all the steps. So, you know, step one is surrender. I had to surrender that I was powerless. Step two is hope. You know, God can help. Um, step three, commitment. I think I'll let him. So I'll turn my life and my will over to God. And so the spiritual experience was transforming my own personality by applying these principles. When I took step four, I have to honestly look at my, you know, my um, defects and, and what I was doing to harm others. And then I had as I, as I moved on through the steps, I had to be willing to make amends to people. That was all new and different to me. And, and now, through the grace of God and through, the, through this, this spiritual experience that I've gotten from, from taking this program, I'm able to recover. And, you know, and it's still one day at a time. I'm a work in progress. I have to go to meetings. I have to you know, work with fellows, I have to work with my sponsor. So I continually um, work on my conceptions and motives. And now before I do or say anything, I stop and say, okay, what are my motives here? That's the change in me. That's the personal transformation or personality transformation that that comes from this spiritual experience. Um, Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Becky. Kathleen O, are you back? Can you hear me? Is that Kathleen? Yes. Oh, yes, I can hear you now. Why don't you go ahead then? Sure. Thank you. I'm sorry. I don't know what was wrong. I said I was unmuted. I wasn't double muted. Anyway. Okay. Um, So thank you for your patience. And um, Kathleen recovered in Northern California. And... I love this sentence um, when he's telling Roland, in fact, I have been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangement within you. With many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, but I have never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. And I can relate to that because I had, you know, I had doctors and friends and family who are always trying to help me um, with my problems with my weight. And and nothing worked because, as described in this book, I wasn't the moderate or the hard. I was the real compulsive overeater. And so there was no doctor or anything that was going to help me. Um, and so when there's and, – and, you know, just like um, Roland feeling like um, the gates of hell had closed on him and, um, you know, why couldn't he control what he was drinking, I felt the same way every time I went on a diet. and. And I'd lose weight, but I'd always gain it back. And and every time I did, I felt like the gates of hell were closing on me. So to come into a program where there is a solution, there's an answer, you know, I thought the problem was the food and my weight. And it definitely was a problem because I weighed over 200 pounds and I was miserable. Um, but I learned that the bigger problem was my mind and the only way that I was going to have a change in my mind, the way I think, the way I feel, the way I behave, um, those combined, all of those was to have this vital spiritual experience. And, and that's when a higher power comes into our lives. Um, you know, uh, I, I always like the story of um, Jim when he goes into the bar and, and decides he's going to put a little whiskey in his milk. And, you know, knowing what I know, if I was sitting there with him, I would, I would not say, oh, yeah, you'll probably be able to do that, just like he told himself, that it'll be okay. I would have been screaming, no, no, you know. Um, yet for me, even knowing what I know in this program, 
I can have those moments of thinking, oh, a little bit of this is going to be okay. I'm just like Jim. I'm just as crazy thinking as Jim, that built-in forgetter that, that I have. And the only thing that stops that is to continue working the spiritual program every day. Um, there's a sentence in the book about, you know, being really careful not to rest on our laurels. And resting on our laurels is when we think we've had enough success and no future effort is needed. And I've been there and done that. And, and I realize that I've been blessed to have this spiritual experience and the work it takes to maintain this, to maintain that connection with my higher power and work these steps on a daily basis is nothing compared to the misery um, that I was in and the difficulty of not being able to stop what I was eating. You know, today, I don't, that's not an issue. Um, and it's really a blessing. You know, even professionals with certificates do continuing education to stay on top of their game. And, and I need to do this in the program. I need to just keep practicing um, these principles in all my affairs. And that's how I get the, the freedom, happiness, um, and serenity on a day-to-day -day basis, even when things aren't always going my way. Thank you. This is Kathleen, and I pass. Thank you, Kathleen. Glad we didn't miss you. Okay, who else would like to share on what was read? Reggie O. Hi, Christina from Pennsylvania. Uh, Reggie O. Christina, Lisa J.R. Lisa J.R. John K. John K. Sherry K. Marie J. Uh, you guys, two people spoke at once. I'm sorry I didn't get either of Sherry you. Sherry K.B. Sherry K.B. Marie J. I'm going to try to get in there. Marie J. Uh, Christina, I didn't get your last initial. <clears throat> oh, well, you can give it to me. All right, so we're going to go with Reggio. Yeah, I'm, I'm back. I'm back. I muted myself. I'm M, the letter M. Okay, Christina M. Okay, so we've got Reggio, Christina M., Lisa J.R., John K., Sherry K.B., Marie J., and Amy G. Go ahead, Reggio, you are up. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for your service. And uh, it's really great to be here this morning. Uh, in all the times that I have been reading this paragraph over the years, um, it has, I read it and it's like, it just kind of blows my mind in a way, you know. And I, and I remember having yearned for it, and I remember having used it uh, in various situations. But before, you know, actually having the experience and, uh, you know, vital spiritual experiences. I was thinking just before sharing that, you know, it really, it's great that the first step is powerlessness and, uh, and that it's honesty because that honesty is sort of the core for me of the rest of, of the rest of the program that, you know, that to admit that I'm powerless over something and what I'm powerless over is my compulsive eating and the effect that certain food, foods have on me. And the fact that the, the bigger and most important fact is that, uh, you know, I'm kind of had, 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 had mental, very mental, mental issues, you know, that mental obsession that only a spiritual experience will conquer. And, you know, we are, you know that that comes through the steps, working the steps and, a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. Uh, you know, for me, it's very simple, and I I, I see it more and more. And uh, the the simplicity is that I was an incredibly self-centered person and didn't know it because I thought that that was the way life was. Um, that was just, you know, if I'm not going to take care of me, who's going to? And, uh, you know, even in program, there's, there was always this trying to fill up, trying to fill up, thinking that I didn't have you know, enough to give. And one day when I fill up enough, I'll have enough that I can pour out, you know, onto other people. But, you know, it's the, it's kind of like food. It was the never enough, uh, the never enough experience. Uh, that's changed. You know, it, it's amazing to me when, you know, sometimes when I'm in a situation, I think, well, you know, I'm really, you know, I'm really thoughtful, you know, about someone's else experience or what, or what they might need or, you know, the joy that I get from actually being a part of making a difference for someone else or sharing or being a part of this membership, you know. And uh, uh, so that is one. And the other one is the issue of control, which goes hands in hands. You know, I used to think I had to control and manipulate everything, and I had to learn to do it subtly so that, you know, no one would know. But it was just continually attempting to control and 
manipulate some power that I didn't have to get what I thought I needed or wanted. Uh, and, you know, that was, it was the way I just, it's a way to wear myself out, which I have done over the years. And coming to find out, you know, coming to learn over time that, I mean, I can just lay that aside. I, I can lay that aside. I still pick it up sometimes. But when I lay it aside, you know, this new spiritual experience of finding, which this book is all about, it tells us later on, is to find a power greater than ourselves, which can, you know, restore us to sanity and really take care of everything, including the food and the mental obsession, everything in our lives. And when I can can set aside, you know, set aside the, the control and the fears and everything, which I have ways to do even on a daily basis with the 10th and 11th step, and turn this over to a power greater than myself and trust and rely, it's amazing. It's like this great, you know, weight that I've been pulling or carrying is just immediately uh, set down and I feel free and can go forward into my day. I have different energy, different ways of looking at the same circumstance. And um, and it's yet, you know, as I sit here and read this and having, you know, experience, you know, experiencing it on a daily basis and having experienced it, you know, in a very big way the first time when I went through the steps this time uh, with a sponsor, uh, someone from Vision taking me through the steps. And that last, uh, remember the last amends, I don't think I'll ever forget. It was one I never, ever thought I could do. And I couldn't get in touch with anyone before the call was just right there in front of me. And I literally got down on my knees and just said, help me, you know, help me. And it, and I picked up the phone which I hadn't done for over 30 years, and the words came, and it was an amazingly beautiful experience. And I knew that 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 was not me, you know, the me that I had been. I could never have done that, you know. And and day by day it happens in in, uh, other ways, you know. And just this morning I realized I've had this fear I've been trying to handle, and I have not even considered, you know, it's so big for me that that I haven't considered, you know, turning it over. And I was writing about it this morning. And what came to me, you know, as I was asking God for show me the way, it's like, okay, sure. You know, I've got a fear inventory. I, I can I can do a 10th step around that. And automatically someone was lifted. So it's an amazing, uh, it's a, this is an amazing toolkit and way of life that, you know, I have and that I think we have. And I'm forever grateful for it and absolutely love this paragraph, which is sort of the core of, of what we, you know, what we're here for. So thanks for letting me share. Lisa J.R., go ahead. Hi, I'm Lisa J.R. from Baltimore, and um, I would just love to um, share on this because it meant so much to me, and I'm so grateful for the year that I spent floundering in regular OA before I came upon the big book because the the crux of my problem is in my mind. Food, until I realized that food was the solution to all of my um, problems, I couldn't, I was white knuckling it. The onus was on the food program, the the plan of eating and not on, um, you know, my my mind. And so once I, I got into step one through 12, it it was a paradigm shift for for my life, and it became a lifestyle to me. Um, it it's no longer just something to lose weight or get healthy. This is about this is about taking that that spotlight off of selfishness and self and putting it on others. And it's you know become God's plan. I see for my life, and I'm just so grateful that. That this within the, this section of the big book really just opened my eyes to what I had been doing for for a good thirty years with food, and really set me free. And I'm even seeing today that I I get convicted when I hear a special edition or I hear somebody share that gee, you know, you got to tweak this, you got to tweak this. Are you in are you in denial about this or, you know, it's just it's a beautiful thing because it's one helping another all the time. And with that, I will pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Lisa. John K., you're up. 
Good morning. Uh, <clears throat> this is John Kiernan, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Los Angeles. Um, you know, I read this and I, I just keep thinking of myself and how this reminds me of me, you know, where it says, you, you know, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I've never seen one single case recover. And boy, you know, for me, I, when I put it into the uh, uh, idea of my eating, you know, uh, I've seen many diets, <laughs> you know. I started out dieting uh, at, at like I think maybe 9 or 10. I remember going to a major uh, commercial weight loss group at 13. I was the only boy there, and I was the, I was the only oldest person by maybe 10 or 15 years, all of these, you know, and, and the, you know, when I first was in program and I would share my story, I would talk about how it was on almost every diet I could think of and that none of them worked, and the more I thought about it, I went, you know, that's not true. I was on a lot of diets, and they all worked. They all worked once. Uh, because I'm a good little student, and you give me the, you know, the course uh, syllabus, and I'm going to follow it, and I did. The trouble is I have the uh, brain of an, uh, of an addict, and uh, then it starts, it, then it doesn't work anymore because the addict brain was looking for all the loopholes, and this is exactly the same description the doctor talked about, not having seen a single case recover. And even in OA, I saw the same thing. You know, I came in OA, I, I had one of those pink cloud experiences where I always joke the abstinence fairy hit me on the head and all of a sudden I didn't want to eat. I was following this food plan. It was just it was right after Grace Sheet had gone away but, you know, I could follow this thing exactly and it was easy and it was simple and then I lost it and then I spent years trying to get it back and in a relapse cycle. And um, what I look back now and realize is I had a classic OA story. I've heard this story over and over from so many people of having it really easy and then not being able to get it back. And I realized what it was, was this first time around in OA was just another one of those diets that he told me what to do. I took my brain out and, and it worked. Because, and the main reason it worked is I took that addict's brain out. And, and what I didn't do during all that time is really get into the steps. Yes, I was at meetings. I'd hear about the steps. I did four steps in my other program. I did men's in another program. But I really wasn't into the work involved. You know, that will get me that vital spiritual experience. And I didn't keep working on it. Um, and, and part of this is, and I, and I always share this, is I, I, you know, I, I really believe that this could be even tougher than my other one. Um, uh, you know, the compulsive eating is hard because what really changes people, whether it's Bill or Roland or something, is pain. The pain of the things that happen and you wake up and go, oh my God, what am I doing? But the trouble with food is it's more a dull, chronic pain. And as a result, it makes you uncomfortable enough to know you should do something about your problem, but not uncomfortable enough to be willing to go to any lengths to do it. And to me, the whole key to getting to this point of the vital spiritual experience is that I've got to get out of the way, which means I have to surrender first. I have to be willing to wipe my brain clean of all of my misconceptions. Like it says here, a new set of conceptions and motives. I love that extra word and motive. I did a lot of selfless things before, but it was always because it was going to get me either, you know, uh, it was going to get me something, whether it's ego or I could expect something later. But for me, happened when I really got seriously into this and stopped making OA a diet or a place where I could just go and talk about my problems at meetings. And, and to me, I, the great line I heard a long time ago, it's all of, when it comes to surrender in OA, it's a two-part process. Put the food down, pick the steps up. And with that, I pass. Thank you, John K. Okay, Sherry KB, it's your turn. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, everybody. This is Sherry KB in Northern California, Grateful Recovery Compulsive Reader. Thanks for your service, Amy. I just, you know, I love this, the, these paragraphs. I wish we could spend the entire week on this. Um, there's so much here, so much. Um, the whole paragraphs are talking about change. Everything is, is described as how we have to change. Uh, it says uh, emotional displacements, rearrangements, um, sudden cast to a side, um, completely new set of concepts and motives begin to dominate them. Um, ideas, emotions, and attitudes. I'll start with that. Um, for me, it's telling me that, you know, yes, I have to put the food down because without that I can't do these steps. And the steps are the ones that change me, uh, to unblock me, uh, to get connected with a higher power. And 
to live in these steps um, every day. And, you know, my disease tells me, this is too hard, I can't do this, poor me, poor me, another milkshake is what it says. And, you know, what what is different is the change in me is that when I'm in my disease, all I don't think about you, all I want to do is get to the food, be left alone, and be alone with my food. When I'm in this work, in which I have been, it's just remarkable, is I think of other people. When I do have problems, I know what to do with them. I've been given directions of what to do. When I'm having a problem, I go help somebody else. Um, I go be of service to someone else, and it gets me out of myself into helping others, and actually my higher power gets in there and cleans out the garbage in my head so that I can be useful and find solutions to, to my problems instead of going back in the food all the time. And that is amazing to me because I love words, and I looked up the word chronic, and chronic means ever-present. and that, So that's telling me that my disease will always be present. So I have to take care of... Um, taking, you know, precautions every day to keep my, my disease at bay. And that means to have these changes that I do working in the steps. And, um, and then spiritual means vital, means life-supporting. So I have to have life support by living in these steps, by working the steps, by doing 10, 11, and 12. And step 10 is actually 4 through 9. And every day I get to... To, to live a better life than I ever did the day before, but I have to do this every day. And my disease will go, it's too hard, I don't want to do this every day. And Well, yeah, you do. If you want to live life and enjoy your life, Siri, you're going to have to do this, this work every day. And I'm just so grateful for that. And, you know, I was talking with somebody yesterday, and we we realized something. We were reading another part of, of, of our literature, and it said, you know, the principles are the opposites of our character defects. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Heard your little timer there, Sherry. Thank you so much. Okay, Marie J., is your turn. Please go ahead. Thank you. This is Marie J., and I'm recovered in Colorado and very grateful for it. Um, I am recovered, and I've had a vital spiritual experience, but yesterday I got a big slap in the face. You know, that doesn't render me immune to life showing up and disrupting my serenity. And I I got a really great lesson yesterday, you know, handed me right from God, you know, just an opportunity to see some big character defects come up. It was Easter, it's my favorite holiday, and I have this history of having expectations around exactly how it's going and and how it needs to be and a everything has to be a certain way and I have a history of of raging when it doesn't and so everyone ends up every every one of my holidays ends up with me being enraged and yelling at my family when they don't follow my script and I've been in recovery for for four years now and on the vision lines for almost a year and finally I was able to see that. It was such a gift to be able to see that my expectations um, about how things should go and, and wanting to be in control, and I got stopped dead in my tracks, and that's the gift of the vital spiritual experience. That's the gift of recovery, is I didn't have to act on that. I saw it coming up. I felt it coming up, and I felt myself going to reaction and I left, and I paused, and I called a fellow, and I worked a 10th step, and I did my part. I didn't want to see my part in it. I didn't want to see that I had character defects up. I just wanted to rage and, and, and be in control and make things go my way. And it took an hour, but I got there. I got to see my part. I got to see my expectations. I got to see my need to control and make things perfect so that, so that I could be happy and I want the whole world to do what I want to do. And what a gift. I don't have to be that way, and it's because I have this gift of recovery. It's because I had this awakening spiritually, and I was able to sit with, with that, those feelings and with that person to help me 
see that God's in charge. God's always in charge, and I don't have to do anything except that know that I have character defects and they, life will keep showing up for me. Life will keep showing up and it will keep giving me opportunities to be in recovery. And thank God I have that relationship with God today and every day and can continue to work on that every single day so that I don't have to ruin the holidays. Thanks very much. Thank you. Marie J., my name is Amy G. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Um, I'm going to focus on the, but the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. You know, what suddenly sets things to one side? You know, if we, excuse me, if we look at those prior paragraphs, you know, it's my powerlessness. For me, I can say from my experience, things are suddenly cast aside because I had nowhere else to go. This disease was killing me, and no matter what I tried, no matter how much willpower I used, no matter how much knowledge I had, even in OA year after year, I could not stop putting the binge foods in my mouth. And it talks about it in the end of step one in the AA 12 and 12. You know, who likes the self-searching, the leveling of our pride? Almost no one, unless they feel they're going to die if they don't do it. And that was, I'm paraphrasing, <clears throat> excuse me, but that was actually the case for me. I, I had, I, this is a program where I felt like I had no other choice, that this was the program I was going to have to choose to do, and I was going to have to do it the way my life, my life depended upon it. Was compulsive overeating, like John Kay was talking about, going to kill me straight away? But no, it was making my life a living hell. And I was headed in that direction where I wanted to die. And I was doing things that put me in situations where that could have been a very real possibility of what I was doing to myself and my health, particularly as a bulimic and an anorexic and a compulsive exerciser and all the binging and purging that I was doing. My life was a living hell, and I was a prisoner and a slave to the food and to my binging. And so in order to stay alive, I was offered a program. It talks about it. We just read it on a couple a couple weeks ago when we were on page 25. If you're seriously as alcoholic or compulsive overeater as we were, we believe there's no middle-of-the-road solution. We're in a position where life's becoming intolerable. We had but two choices. One was to pick up this spiritual kit of tools laid at our feet or going on into oblivion. And that was where I stood at the turning point for me. And that was what made me willing to suddenly cast aside all old ideas and take a look at, at those who, in whom the problem had been solved, those on these line recovered, those at Overeaters Anonymous meetings who recovered and had that peace and serenity in their eyes. And that's what I wanted to do. I mean, we don't think our way into recovery. We act our way into a recovery. And that was what I had to understand. That was the beginning for me, was 100% surrender, 100% powerlessness, and 100% willingness to do what seemed crazy to me. But under that understanding is what everyone else had been talking about, was this idea that there's more to this disease than meets the mouth, if you excuse the pun. It wasn't about putting the binge foods in my mouth. That was the last step of a relapse for me. It's not That wasn't the beginning of the relapse when I actually put the food in my mouth. It was my thinking, my behaving, my reactions, my whole way of dealing with life. It was, a, a diet was never going to fix that. You know, trying to give a diet to a compulsive overeater is like trying to put a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. It's never going to work, and that was exactly the case for me. So I had to be willing to cast aside and listen into whom the problem had been solved and get working on these steps like my life depended upon it. And with that, I will pass. We have time for one more share before we wrap things up. Who would like to chime in? This is Wendy M. Wendy, come on down, as they say. Go ahead and share. All right, girlfriend. It's Wendy M. Recovered in uh, Colorado. Thank you, God. What a great thing. And Amy, thank you for your work today, your, your, your service. So this describes exactly what's happening to me to a T. Displacement, rearrangement. Absolutely. Absolutely and a complete new. So I could not have imagined this 11 months ago when I started the Vision for You Big Book Study. Could not have imagined it at all. Um, And it says here, too, that um, spiritual health. 
I mean, that's an understatement. I can only go through these rearrangements and displacements because of my higher power. It's not just a little bit. It's not some help. It's, it's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. And, and for me, the, kind, the way these things are changing, um, somebody, I called somebody the other day, and that is a spiritual experience, picking up the phone. And she says to me, I said to her, I'm going to see my sister, and I want to say certain things to her, and I want her to say certain things back to me. And she says to me, um, no, we don't need anything from other people. Complete freedom. We don't need anything. When we need nothing from another person, that's complete freedom. This revolutionized my, me in that moment. And then she says, nothing that your sister can say or do will fill up your hole. I'm like, wait, what just happened? What did she just say? Nothing that my sister or anybody on the planet can do that will fill my hole. So I went and I had this coffee date and I um, my and, and, I, and I prayed beforehand. And I was so free, and I was so much of service to this woman. And I waited, you know, is she going to say something? She said something, and guess what? It didn't fill my hole. When she said it, I just laughed and giggled with her. She goes, I'm a horrible sister. And I go, I know. And we both just cracked up. It was, it was a transform, transformative experience. And I'm willing to pick up that phone and hear that, it's, that, that there's another way. There's another way. And I have to say, too, when I'm grumpy or this morning when I want to blame my son on my fears around taxes, right? I want to control my son because I feel out of control about taxes this morning. It lasts for two seconds. I'm about to control him, and God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some attention. And God says, there's another way. And I said, you're right. Because it feels so icky now to do the old behavior. It's like, it is like putting my um, hand on a hot flame. I can feel it. I can feel it every time when I'm not with God. And I want to blame my son this morning for something or my husband or whoever's in my path. Um, it lasts just a nanosecond. It's unbelievable. It's, it, it, yeah, that's really all I have to say. Uh, this transformation, this, you know, suddenly cast to one side, it's exactly what's happening. I was in OA for 16 years. I never had an ounce of this feeling. I've never experienced this before. And that's not to put down OA at all. It's just somebody gave me this book and God said, you're ready. You know, God knocked on my door. And thank God that that happened. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy. And actually, we're going to close things up. And Wendy, if you could get ready to pay, to read page 164, Vision for You. I'm going to thank everyone who's sharing, particularly our readers who've given so much of themselves, Lindsay and Nancy and um, everybody else. So uh, go ahead, um, sure. Wendy, and go ahead and share. Yes, please. Yep. Yeah. Okay, great. 164. Uh, yes. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you and 